Welcome to LaGrave CRC's Sermon Podcast. This Sunday, we will continue our sermon series, The Canons of Dort. We will be looking at the second head of the doctrine, which has been traditionally referred to as limited atonement. This is Limited Atonement by Reverend Peter Yonker. So this morning, we take our second step, a second sermon in our series on the Canons of Dort. We'll focus on the second main head of doctrine, which is popularly known as limited atonement. And because we're doing the canons, I'm going to ask you to take out uh, two readings. One is Romans 9, verse 6 through 24. That's found on page 1,756 in your pew Bibles. And then also take out this Our Faith book, which is in your pew, hopefully is within reach of you, and turn to page 122. And I will um, eventually read from that Um, I'm going to start with the Bible reading and then say a few words and then I will get in to the canons reading, if that's okay. So let's begin with Romans 9, 6 through 24. And um, let me offer a disclaimer for the beginning of this service, before the beginning of this sermon. This sermon will be long and it will be technical. (laughs) There's nothing good in either of those, I know. Um... (laughs) But it is what it is. This is a hard doctrine. And so I guess what I'm encouraging you to do is to um, you know, put on your thinking cap. Come along with me. Work at this together. Okay. Romans 9, verse 6 to 24. And you'll see right here, technical. Paul is very technical here. Paul, sorry. Paul is now talking about the fate of the Jews. I'm entering into an argument. He's wondering, what's happening? Why aren't the Jews accepting Jesus? And then he comes to this point. It is not as though God's word has failed. For not all who have descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they Abram's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not to the children by physical descent who are God's children. It is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abram's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated when it was stated, at the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's holy purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden. Now, one of you might say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall we who are formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? 
Does not the potter have the right to make the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the glory of his riches of his glory known to the object of his mercy, whom he had prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he has also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? This is the word of the Lord. And just a note, I will talk about Romans 9 today. I'll get into it. It's such a, I mean, you can sense, such a complicated passage. I'm actually going to preach on it again next week, not in the morning, but at night. I'm going to go deep into Romans 9 because there's so much there. Romans 9 through 11 is amazing, but it's so hard. You cannot do it in 20 minutes. So next week, if, you, if this is the stuff you enjoy, come back next week, Sunday night. So last week, we heard about the first of the heads of the doctrines of the, of the canons of Dort. We heard about unconditional election. And that doctrine says, to remind you, that we are chosen to be saved by God purely by grace. 100% grace. Nothing to do with who we are. God did not look ahead and see how good we would become. He chose us by grace, and he did that before the beginning of time. That's what it means to be elect. That's what it means to be chosen, to be one of those chosen before the beginning of time by pure grace. And last week, using Ephesians 1, we celebrated the good news in that, right? We have deep roots. You've been chosen before the beginning of time. Our roots go all the way back to before creation, so nothing can take us out of God's hands. Glory. But you remember, if you were here, that I also mentioned some of the hard questions that come up around that doctrine. And one of those questions was, what about those who are not chosen? Wonderful, I'm chosen before the foundation of the earth to be saved by grace. What about those who are passed over? They're no worse than me, and yet they're not among the elect. Are there people born into this world who as babies have absolutely no chance of salvation? They are born to be condemned to eternal destruction, and it doesn't matter what they do. Is that what this doctrine is saying? Is that an implication of this doctrine? That's a hard question, and that's the one I'm going to walk around today. The authors of the Canons of Dort, if you read it, obviously knew that this was a question or a potential implication of the doctrine of election, and so they addressed this very question. And now it's time for us to open that book and turn to page 122, and I'm going to read a little bit of Article 15. I'll read the first two paragraphs of that article, and you'll hear them wrestling with this question. Moreover, say the canons, Holy Scripture most especially highlights this eternal and undeserved grace of our election and brings it out most clear, more clearly for us in that it further bears witness that not all people have been chosen, but that some have not been chosen or have been passed by in God's eternal election. Those, that is, concerning whom God, on the basis of his entirely free, most just, irreproachable, and unchangeable good pleasure, made the following decree. 
to leave them in the common misery into which, by their own fault, they have plunged themselves. Not to grant them saving faith and the grace of conversion, but finally to condemn them and eternally punish those who've been left in their own ways and under God's just judgment, not only for their unbelief, but also for all their other sins in order to display his justice. Okay. The language is technical. Yeah, it's not easy, it's theological, but I think you can hear the answer. The answer, Canons of Dort acknowledges that there's some people who are passed over from eternity. Toman is powerful, but not everybody is saved. Some people bear the punishment of their sins. Atonement is limited. Limited atonement. That's the doctrine that is dealt with in the second head of doctrine in the Canons of Dort. And that doctrine um, says not that atonement is limited in its power. In fact, it says the opposite, that it is infinite in its value and its worth. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross does not lack any power to save everyone. It's perfectly able to save everyone, but in the workings of justice, not everyone is saved. Atonement is limited. That's what the canons say, and the canons also say that this is taught in Scripture. Holy Scripture further bears witness that not all people have been chosen, but that some have been passed over. The Bible says this, says the canons. And although there's no, if you look at the canons, there's no footnote or, or they're not pointing to a specific passage, it's pretty clear when you do any reading on this that the passage they're pointing to when they lift up this doctrine is the one we just read. Romans 9. In Romans 9, Paul is wrestling with the problem of election, a problem of who is saved and who is not saved and why. And he's doing it in a very personal way. This is not an abstract doctrine for Paul at this point. This is extremely personal because it involves his people, the Jews, who most of whom are not following Jesus, right? Most of them are rejecting the Messiah. This includes people that Paul would have known personally. And this is causing Paul great grief. And he's trying to work it out in his head. Why is this happening? What is God doing? Why is he choosing these Gentiles and not the Jews? And the problem is especially acute because Paul has just finished writing Romans 8. If you know Romans 8, what Romans 8 says is nothing can stop God. God promises something. God wants to do something. If God makes covenant, nothing will stop him from achieving what he wants. And nobody can take you out of his hands. And yet here are these Jewish people who, who seem not to be chosen. So Paul's trying to work out what's going on. And if you read Romans 9, you can hear him trying to work it out for himself, right? It's not just that he's explaining it to people. You can hear him trying to figure this out for himself. He says, first of all, you know, this choosing thing, that's not anything new. If you read the Old Testament, we all know the stories. God has always been choosing some and not others. He chose Isaac, but not Ishmael. He chose Jacob but he didn't chose, choose Esau. So there's always been that dynamic. And furthermore, sometimes God chooses to harden people to show his glory. We know about that too. Think of Pharaoh, right? He told Pharaoh. You read it in Exodus. He hardened Pharaoh's heart so that the majesty of his glory could be shown in the plagues and all the Egyptians would know who the true God is. 
So sometimes God chooses some and not others, and sometimes he hardens hearts, all to, to show his glorious purpose. And, and he's free to do that. He's God. God can do what he wants. It's his prerogative. We are the clay. He is the potter. How can the clay talk back to the potter? And then verse 22, he goes a little further, and he offers this possibility. He says, maybe, what if, in choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, God bore with great patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction? He's talking about Israel there. The objects of wrath prepared for destruction is Israel. He's been bearing them with great patience, lo, these many years. What if he did that to make his glory known to the objects of his mercy? Who is us, the Gentiles, the church? In other words, what if God did this deliberately, planned for the Jews to reject the Messiah, planned for them to reject this Messiah that they've been looking for all the time, in order that the gospel may go to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles may learn to glorify God? Maybe that was always his plan to harden their hearts so that the Jews, so that the Gentiles would be chosen. And if that's what God wants to do, if that's what he's chosen to do, that's God's prerogative. Who are we to question him? So you can see, I mean, that's the flow of Romans 9 that I just described. You can see the canons point to Romans 9 and they say, see, Holy Scripture teaches this doctrine. Of course, that still leaves us with that question at the beginning of the sermon, right? Okay. I see what the canons say. I hear where they get it from Scripture. Does that mean that God actually creates people, that there are babies born in this world who are born to eternal torment? Because that's problematic. I had multiple people after last week's sermon come up to me and say, I got a lot of problems. I really have a hard time with this. I had a person come up to me before this service say, I got a lot of problems. I really have a hard time with this. I think we all feel that, right? We all feel the weight of that. Let me say a couple things. First, the canons does not say that there are babies born to eternal punishment. It says that there are people condemned and they're done so justly, says that claim. It also says that we're chosen before time completely by grace. It does not make that further inference that there are infants born in this world to eternal damnation does not explicitly make that further inference. And second, talking about Scripture now, when Paul offers this idea that God is maybe hardening the hearts of Israel, like he did with Pharaoh, in order that the Gentiles might come in and see the grace of God, he is not certain about that idea. When Paul offers that idea, he is not offering it with certainty. When, God start, when, when Paul talks about exactly why and what God is doing in the area of salvation, he does not claim to know everything about the mind of God and what he's doing and how the mechanics of salvation will work. He's just offering possibilities. Paul says, what if? What if this is what God is doing? What if this is God's intention? Paul does not say, thus saith the Lord, this is how it is. Paul says, what if? Maybe. Possibly. 
when it comes to discerning the eternal purposes of God in something like salvation, when it comes to knowing the mind of God in terms of who gets saved and who doesn't, Paul knows the limits of his knowledge. Paul knows what he does not know. Paul knows when to say, thus saith the Lord, and when to say, what if? And that doesn't mean that Paul is wishy-washy, right? Because there's all kinds of times where Paul's perfectly willing to say, thus saith the Lord, this is how it is, this is what God says, this is the truth. But Paul knows where his understanding ends, and he starts to tread into the realm of mystery. And in that realm, he cannot offer certainties. In that realm, he has to say, what if, maybe, possibly, Paul knows he's treading on holy ground, so he takes off the shoes of his certainty and he puts on a little what if. That it what if is so important when we start talking about election and reprobation and doctrines like this. It is so important that we maintain intellectual humility and we recognize the limits of our understanding when we wrestle with these doctrines. Because when we try as human beings to plant certainties in the field of holy mystery, bad things happen. I'm going to say that again. When we human beings try to plant certainties in the field of holy mystery, bad things happen. What do I mean by that? Let me try to explain. Here are five things, five truths that I think we can all agree on that are thus saith the Lord truths. These are holy certainties. I printed them in your bulletin. I don't usually do this sort of thing. But if you've got them, right under the title, there's five things there. These are all things that I think scripture teaches, that doctrine teaches, that we can all hold and we can all say, yes, this is true. These are God's things. All right, number one, Jesus' death on the cross is strong enough to save the whole world, right? That's what the canons teaches. Uh, there's no limitation to God's power poured out on the cross. No limits to his grace. Okay? Number two. God is full of mercy and he loves the whole world. That too is biblical. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. 1 John 4. God is love. Right? God is love and full of mercy. Ephesians 3. There's no limits to his love. Number three. Not everyone is saved. It's not nice to talk about, but pretty clearly biblical, right? There is a hell, and there are people in it. That's what Scripture teaches. It's in some of Jesus' parables. Number four, salvation is all God's work. From beginning to end, from eternity, it's all grace. It has nothing to do with us. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2. And finally, God is perfectly just and holy. He is absolutely just. No one is punished unjustly or out of proportion to what they did. The soul who sins is the one who dies, Ezekiel 17, right? No impugning God's justice. He will do what is just. Okay, those are five biblical truths, right? I, I think we can all agree those things are true. But here's the thing. You may all, we may all agree that those things are completely true, when it comes to the question of salvation and who is saved and why, there are no way you can hold those five things and make sense of it. You cannot hold those five truths and logically work out 
the mechanics of salvation and come to a rational conclusion that makes sense without doing damage to one of those five truths. We cannot answer these questions. We hold on to these things, we believe them with all our hearts, we stand in the middle of them, and we recognize when we've gone from the realm of certainty and into the realm of holy mystery. And when we enter into that realm, the appropriate thing is to say, Lord, I love you, I trust you, I trust you with every soul on this earth, but I do not understand, but I give it all to you. As Christians, Every human being comes, right? This is not specific to Christians. Every human being has these times in their life, places where we cross from certainty, where we know things, into the realm of holy mystery. As Christians, when we cross that boundary, that's what we do. Lord, I do not understand. I don't get it, but I love you and I trust you. This is such an important spiritual move. Now, this, this is where this sermon is not just about limited atonement. This is such an important spiritual move because all of us all the time are coming into these places where we cross from certainty and understanding into mystery and confusion. If you're a parent, this will happen to you all the time with your children. And you won't know how to love them properly. And in that place, you say, Lord, I don't get it. I'm going to do my best, but I trust you and I love you. This will happen to you in situations of loss. All of us will and probably all of us have lost someone in our life that makes no sense. Lord, the timing was terrible as far as we can see. I do not get it. It's a holy mystery and we say, Lord, I don't, I don't get it. I don't like it, but I give you this. I trust you and I love you. Now, we don't like to make that move. That's a hard move for us to make because we human beings like to understand. We like answers. Answers make us feel like we're in control. Answers make us feel like we're secure. Answers, you won't like this, but it's true, feed our pride. Feels good to stand up in a room of confused people and say, I know, I have the answer. People are drawn to that. Saying, I don't know, I don't understand. That makes you feel weak and vulnerable, which is what you are. So we don't like to admit what we don't know, but it's such an important spiritual move for Christian people. It's taught in scripture. And it's analogous to what we are trying to teach our kids about something like failure these days, right? Parents are turned, make sure your kid are taught, parents are taught, make sure your child experiences failure. A lot of times we parents try to shield our kids from failure. Why do we do that? Because failure hurts, it's totally unpleasant. But kids need to experience it so that they know that when they fail, they'll survive and that they can learn from their failure. The same thing is true about intellectual humility and saying, I don't know, I don't understand. That's such an important thing for our children to learn and our whole educational system militates against it because we reward our kids for answers. We give them A's when they know the answers, we give them D's when they don't know the answers. But life is full of mysteries. And at the edge of those mysteries, our children and us, we need to learn to say, I don't know, but Lord, I love you and I trust you and I put my life in your hands. When we fail to do that, when we go into the realm of holy mystery and try to plant certainties, bad things happen. And let me try to demonstrate this too. Let's go back to those five, those five 
true things that I got from Scripture. I said you can't possibly hold those things together and explain the mechanics of salvation, okay? But that doesn't stop people from trying because we do love explanations. And throughout church history, people have tried to do this, and what happens? They end up giving up on one of the five. I'll give you specific examples. Sometimes people give up on that first one, or the, uh, number two, I mean, that God is full of mercy and loves the whole world. There are Christians who say, as they try to explain election, well, God doesn't, doesn't love the unelect. God's love is only for the elect. He doesn't actually care about those other people. Those are, they were just, they were created as sort of background for the rest of creation. So they say, yeah, God absolutely creates people to be damned, and that's, that's, that's how he does it. But of course, I think what you're giving up there is as number two. It, it, that picture to me does not fit the Jesus I see on the cross or the God of love that is proclaimed in Scripture. Some people give up on number three. They say, oh, no, everybody is saved. And you can see how that's a nice, neat answer, right? If everyone's chosen from eternity by grace, if God chooses everyone, all of a sudden we have justice. Great. We have a system. We can explain it. The problem is it's not scriptural, right? It's not scriptural. But some people want the explanation more than they want the mystery. Some people give up on number four. Salvation is all God's work. That's what the Arminians did. That's what the Canons of Dort is speaking against. You take the Arminian solution, you say it's, salvation is 99.9% .9 God's work. It's mostly grace. He puts it in front of you, but it's up to you to choose. And so the people who go to heaven are the ones who choose, and if you didn't choose, well, then, you know, it's just. It was fair. Everybody had a chance. But all of that, of course, gives up on the basics of Scripture. It's so important in life to know where mystery begins and where certainty ends and to stand in the middle of mystery with our arms open and saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you and I give this to you. And where does that leave us with the most personal question of all? What happens to the people we love who show no signs of following Jesus? Maybe people we grew up with, who walked away from the faith, maybe parents, brothers, sisters, friends. Well, I'm not going to plant a certainty in the field of holy mystery and tell you exactly what's happening with them. That would be foolishness. But I will tell you what I do see. I know all those people will go before Jesus. And so I go to the cross, and there I see a God who is full of justice and full of mercy. Right? The cross is all about justice, justification, evening things out, paying a price. Perfect justice is done on the cross. We see the justice of God there. But mercy too, right? Mercy more than we could possibly ask or imagine. So I don't know exactly the mechanics of the thing, but I know that every single one of those loved ones that you're worried about will fall into the hands of Jesus, and when Jesus deals with them at the end, what he does will be perfectly just, and it will be full of mercy, and you will rejoice. It cannot be any other than that. I don't know what exactly he's going to do, but it will be full of justice, and it will be full of mercy. And until that day, I say with you, Lord, I don't understand but I love you, and I trust you, and I give myself to you. Amen.
Lord, you know that in its nature, a sermon is an explaining thing. And, and we've been walking around in a place today, Lord, where our explanations fail. But you do not fail, Lord. You do not fail. Your mercies do not fail. Your truth does not fail. Your justice does not fail. So we put our, our limited understanding, Lord, we, we offer it to you, we bring it to you, we acknowledge it. We say we trust you, Lord. Lead us in your paths and we will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching LaGrave CRC's Sermon Podcast.